Helen's Babies, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Helen's Babies by John Haberton, Part 5. The minister reached, and finally, dear brethren, with my earnest prayers for a successful and speedy finale. It seemed to me that the congregation sympathized with me, for there was a general rustle behind me as these words were spoken. It soon became evident, however, that the hearers were moved by some other feeling, for I heard a profound titter or two behind me. Even Miss Mayton turned her head with more alacrity than was consistent with that grace which usually characterized her motions, and the minister himself made a pause of unusual length. I turned in my seat and saw my nephew Budge, dressed in his best, his head irreverently covered, and his new cane swinging in the most stylish manner. He paused at each pew, carefully surveyed its occupants, seemed to fail in finding the object of his search, but continued his efforts in spite of my endeavours to catch his eye. Finally he recognised a family acquaintance, and to him he unburdened his bosom by remarking, in tones easily heard throughout the church, "'I want to find my uncle!' Just then he caught my eye, smiled rapturously, hurried to me, and laid his rascally soft cheek confidingly against mine, while an audible sensation pervaded the church. What to do or say to him I scarcely knew, but my quandary was turned to wonder, as Miss Mayton, her face full of ill-repressed mirth, but her eyes full of tenderness, drew the little scamp close to her, and kissed him soundly. At the same instant the minister, not without some little hesitation, said, "'Let us pray.' I hastily bowed my head, glad of a chance to hide my face, but as I stole a glance at the cause of this irreligious disturbance, I caught Miss Mayton's eye. She was laughing so violently that the contagion was unavoidable, and I laughed all the harder as I felt that one mischievous boy had undone the mischief caused by another. After the benediction, Budge was the recipient of a great deal of attention, during the confusion of which I embraced the opportunity to say to Miss Mayton, "'Do you still sustain my sister in her opinion of my nephews, Miss Mayton?' "'I think they're too funny for anything,' replied the lady, with great enthusiasm. "'I do wish you would bring them to call upon me. "'I'm longing to see an original young gentleman.' "'Thank you,' said I. "'And I'll have Toddy bring a bouquet by way of atonement.' "'Do,' she replied, as I allowed her to pass from the pew. "'The word was an insignificant one, but it made me happy once more.' "'You see, Uncle Harry,' exclaimed Budge, as we left the church together, "'the Sunday school wasn't open yet, and I wanted to hear if they'd sing again in church, "'so I came in, and you wasn't in Papa's seat, and I knew you was somewhere, so I looked for you.' "'Bless you,' thought I, snatching him into my arms, as if to hurry him into Sabbath school, "'but really to give him a kiss of grateful affection. "'You did right, exactly right.' My Sunday dinner was unexceptional in point of quantity and quality, and a bottle of my brother-in-law's claret proved to be most excellent, yet a certain uneasiness of mind prevented my enjoying the meal as thoroughly as under other circumstances I might have done. My uneasiness came of a mingled sense of responsibility and ignorance. I felt that it was the proper thing for me to see that my nephews spent the day with some sense of the requirements and duties of the Sabbath, 
but how I was to bring it about I hardly knew. The boys were too small to have Bible lessons administered to them, and they were too lively to be kept quiet by any ordinary means. After a great deal of thought, I determined to consult the children themselves, and try to learn what their parents' custom had been. Budge, said I, what do you do Sundays when your papa and mamma are home? What do they read to you? What do they talk about? Oh, they swing us lots, said Budge with brightening eyes. And they takes us to get jacks, observed Toddy. Oh, yes, exclaimed Budge. Jacks in the pulpit, don't you know? Hm, yes, I do remember some such thing in my youthful days. They grow where there's plenty of mud, don't they? Yes, and there's a brook there, and ferns, and birch bark, and if you don't look out, you'll tumble into the brook when you go to get birch. And we goes to Hawk's Nest Rock, piped Toddy, and Papa carries us up on his back when we gets tired. And he makes us whistles, said Budge. Budge, said I, rather hastily, enough, in the language of the poet, these earthly pleasures I resign, and I'm rather astonished that your Papa hasn't taught you to do likewise. Don't he ever read to you? Oh, yes, cried Budge, clapping his hands as a happy thought struck him. He gets down the Bible, the great big Bible, you know, and we all lay on the floor and he reads us stories out of it. There's David and Noah and When Christ Was a Little Boy and Joseph and Turn Back Pharaoh's Army Hallelujah. And what? Turn Back Pharaoh's Army Hallelujah, repeated Budge. Don't you know how Moses held out his cane over the Red Sea, and the water went way up one side and way up the other side, and all the Israelites went across? It's just the same thing as drown old Pharaoh's army, hallelujah, don't you know? Budge, said I, I suspect you of having heard the Jubilee singers. Oh, and Papa and Mamma sings us all those Jubilee songs. There's Swing Low, and Roll Jordan, and Steal Away, and my way's cloudy, and get on board, childens, and lots, and you can sing us every one of em. And Papa takes us in the woods and makes us canes, said Toddy. Yes, said Budge, and where there's new houses buildin', he takes us up ladders. Has he any way of putting an extension on the afternoon? I asked. I don't know what that is, said Budge, but he puts an India rubber blanket on the grass, and then we all lie down and make believe we're soldiers asleep. Only sometimes when we wake up, Papa stays asleep, and Mamma won't let us wake him. I don't think that's a very nice play. Well, I think Bible stories are nicer than anything else, don't you? Budge seemed somewhat in doubt. I think swingin' is nicer, said he. Oh, no, let's get some jacks. I'll tell you what, make us whistles, and we can blow on em while we're goin' to get the jacks. Toddy, dear, wouldn't you like jacks and whistles? Yes, and swingin' and birch and wants to go to Hawksnash Rock, answered Toddy. Let's have Bible stories first, said I. The Lord mightn't like it if you didn't learn anything good today. Well, said Budge, with the regulation religious matter of duty face, let's, I guess I like about Joseph best. Tell us about Blyaf, suggested Toddy. Oh, no, Todd, remonstrated Budge. Joseph's coat was just as bloody as Goliath's head was. Then Budge turned to me and explained that all Todd likes Goliath for is cause when his head was cut off it was all bloody. And then Toddy, the airy sprite whom his mother described as being irresistibly drawn to whatever was beautiful, 
Toddie glared upon me as a butcher's apprentice might stare at a doomed lamb, and remarked, "'Blyeff's head was all bluggy, and David's sword was all bluggy. Bluggy has everything!' I hastily breathed a small prayer, opened the Bible, turned to the story of Joseph, and audibly condensed it as I read. Joseph was a good little boy whose papa loved him very dearly, but his brothers didn't like him, and they sold him to go to Egypt, and he was very smart and told the people what their dreams meant, and he got to be a great man, and his brothers went to Egypt to buy corn, and Joseph sold them some, and then he let them know who he was, and he sent them home to bring their papa to Egypt, and then they all lived there together. "'That ain't it,' remarked Toddy, with the air of a man who felt himself to be unjustly treated. "'Is it, Budge?' "'Oh, no,' said Budge. "'You didn't read it good a bit. "'I'll tell you how it is. "'Once there was an awful little boy named Joseph, "'and he had eleven butters, "'and they was awful eleven butters, "'and his papa gave him a new coat, "'and his butters had nothing but their old jackets to wear, "'and one day he was carrying em their dinner, "'and they put him in a deep, dark hole, "'but they didn't put his nice new coat in. "'They killed a kid and dipped the coat.' "'Just think of doing that to a nice new coat. "'They dipped it in the kid's blood and made it all bloody.' "'All bluggy!' echoed Toddy with ferocious emphasis. "'Budge continued. "'But there were some Ishmaelites coming along that way, "'and the awful eleven butters took him out of the deep dark hole "'and sold him to the Ishmaelites, "'and they sold him away down in Egypt.' "'and his poor old papa cried and cried, "'cause he thought a big lion ate Joseph up. "'But he wasn't ate up a bit, "'but there wasn't no post-office, nor choo-choos, "'footnote, railway cars, "'nor stages in Egypt, and there wasn't any telegraphs, "'so Joseph couldn't let his papa know where he was, "'and he got so smart and so good "'that the king of Egypt let him sell all the corn "'and take care of the money. "'And one day some men came to buy some corn, "'and Joseph looked at him, "'and there they was, his own butters, "'and he scared em like everything. "'I'd have slapped em all if I'd been Joseph, "'but he just scared em, "'and then he let em know who he was, "'and he kissed em, and he didn't whip em, "'or make em go without their breakfast, "'or stand in a corner, nor none of them things. "'And then he sent em back for their papa, "'and when he saw his papa comin', "'he ran like everything, "'and gave him a great big hug and a kiss. "'Joseph was too big to ask his papa "'if he'd brought him any candy, "'but he was awful glad to see him.' and the king gave Joseph's papa a nice farm, and they all had real good times after that. And they dipped the coat in the blood, and made it all bluggy, reiterated Toddie. Uncle Harry, said Budge, what do you think my papa would do if he thought I was all ate up by a lion? I guess he'd cry awful, don't you? Now tell us another story. Oh, I'll tell you. Read us about... about Blyeth. "'interrupted Toddy. "'You tell me about him, Toddy,' said I. "'Why,' said Toddy, "'Blyeff was a bright bid man, "'and Dave was bright little man, "'and Blyeff said, "'Come over here and I'll eat you up,' "'and Dave said, "'I ain't afraid of you.' "'So Dave put five little stones in a sling "'and asked the Lord to help him, "'and let the sling go bang into between Blyeff's eyes "'and knocked him down dead.' "'and Dave took Blyeff's sword and sworded Blyeff's head off "'and made it all bluggy, and Blyeff run away.' "'This short narration was accompanied by more spirited "'and unexpected gestures than Mr. Gow ever puts into a long lecture. 
"'I don't like about Goliath at all,' remarked Budge. "'I'd like to hear about Ferris.' "'Who?' "'Ferris, don't you know?' "'Never heard of him, Budge.' "'Why!' exclaimed Budge. "'Didn't you have no papa when you was a little boy?' "'Yes, but he never told me about any one named Ferris. "'There's no such person named in Anthon's classical dictionary, either. "'What sort of a man was he?' "'Why, once there was a man, and his name was Ferris. "'Offerus, and he went about fightin' for kings, "'but when any king got afraid of anybody, "'he wouldn't fight for him no more. "'And one day he couldn't find no kings that wasn't afraid of nobody.' and the people told him the Lord was the biggest king in the world, and he wasn't afraid of nobody or nothing. And he asked him where he could find the Lord, and they said he was way up in heaven, so nobody couldn't see him but the angels, but he liked folks to work for him instead of fight. So Ferris wanted to know what kind of work he could do, and the people said there was a river not far off, where there wasn't no ferry boats, cause the water runs so fast, and they guessed if he'd carry folks across the Lord would like it. So Ferris went there, and he cut him a good strong cane, and whenever anybody wanted to go across the river, he'd carry him on his back. One night he was sitting in his little house by the fire, and smoking his pipe and reading the paper, and twas raining and blowing and hailing and storming, and he was so glad there wasn't anybody wanting to go across the river, when he heard somebody call out, Ferris! And he looked out the window, but he couldn't see nobody, so he sat down again. Then somebody called Ferris again, and he opened the door again, and there was a little bit of a boy, about as big as Toddy. And Ferris said, "'Hello, young fellow, does your mother know you're out?' And the little boy said, "'I want to go cross the river.' "'Well,' says Ferris, "'you're a mighty little fellow to be travelin' alone, but hop up.' So the little boy jumped up on Ferris's back, and Ferris walked into the water. "'Oh, my, wasn't it cold!' and every step he took that little boy got heavier, so Ferris nearly tumbled down, and they liked to both got drowned. And when they got across the river, Ferris said, "'Well, you are the heaviest small fry I ever carried.' And he turned around to look at him, and twasn't no little boy at all, twas a big man. Twas Christ, and Christ said, "'Ferris, I heard you was trying to work for me, so I thought I'd come down and see you, and not let you know who I was. And now you shall have a new name.' You shall be called Christophorus, cause that means Christ-carrier, and everybody called him Christophorus after that, and when he died they called him Saint Christopher, cause saint is what they called good people when they're dead. Budge himself had the face of a rapt saint as he told this story, but my contemplation of his countenance was suddenly arrested by Toddy, who, disapproving of the unexciting nature of his brother's recital, had strayed into the garden investigated a hornet's nest, been stung, and set up a piercing shriek. He ran into me, and as I hastily picked him up, he sobbed, "'Want to be walked!' Footnote, rocked. "'Want toddy one boy day!' I rocked him violently, and petted him tenderly, but again he sobbed, "'Want toddy one boy day!' "'What does the child mean?' I exclaimed." "'He wants you to sing to him about Charlie Boy one day,' said Budge. "'He always wants Mamma to sing that when he's hurt, and then he stops crying.' "'I don't know it,' said I. "'Won't Roll Jordan do, Toddy?' "'I'll tell you how it goes,' said Budge. And forthwith the youth sang the following song, a line at a time, I following him in words and air. "'Where is my little bastic?' 
Footnote. Basket. Gone. Said Charlie one boy day. I guess some little boy or girl has taken it away. And Kitty too, where is she gone? Oh dear, what shall I do? I wish I could my bastic find, and little Kitty too. I'll go to Mamma's room and look, perhaps she may be there. For Kitty likes to take a nap in Mamma's easy chair. Oh, Mamma, Mamma, come and look. See what a little heap. Here's Kitty in the bastic here, all cuddled down to sleep. Where the applicability of this poem to my nephew's peculiar trouble appeared, I could not see. But as I finished it, his sobs gave place to a sigh of relief. Toddy, said I, do you love your Uncle Harry? Ash, I do love you. Then tell me how that ridiculous song comforts you. Makes me feel good and all nicey, replied Toddy. Wouldn't you feel just as good if I sang, Plunged in a gulf of dark despair? No, don't like Dr. Spears. If a Dr. Spear done anything to me, I'd knock it right down dead. With this extremely lucid remark, our conversation on this particular subject ended. But I wondered, during a few uneasy moments, whether the temporary mental aberration which had once afflicted Helen's grandfather and mine was not reappearing in this, his youngest descendant. My wondering was cut short by Budge, who remarked in a confident tone, "'Now, Uncle Harry, we'll have the whistles, I guess.' I acted upon the suggestion, and led the way to the woods. I had not had occasion to seek a hickory sapling before for years, not since the war, in fact, when I learned how hot a fire small hickory sticks would make. I had not sought wood for whistles since, gracious, nearly a quarter of a century ago. The dissimilar associations called up by these recollections threatened to put me in a frame of mind which might have resulted in a bad poem— had not my nephews kept up a lively succession of questions, such as no one but children can ask. The whistles completed, I was marched, with music, to the place where the jacks grew. It was just such a place as boys instinctively delight in, low, damp, and boggy, with a brook hiding treacherously away under overhanging ferns and grasses. The children knew by sight the plant which bore the jacks, and every discovery was announced by a piercing shriek of delight. At first I looked hurriedly toward the brook as each yell clove the air, but as I became accustomed to it my attention was diverted by some exquisite ferns. Suddenly, however, a succession of shrieks announced that something was wrong, and across a large fern I saw a small face in a great deal of agony. Budge was hurrying to the relief of his brother, and was soon as deeply embedded as Toddy was in the rich black mud at the bottom of the brook. I dashed to the rescue, stood astride the brook, and offered a hand to each boy, when a treacherous tuft of grass gave way, and with a glorious splash I went in myself. This accident turned Toddy's sorrow to laughter, but I can't say I made light of my misfortune on that account. To fall into clean water is not pleasant, even when one is trout-fishing, but to be clad in white pants, and suddenly drop nearly knee-deep into the lap of Mother Earth, is quite a different thing. I hastily picked up the children, and threw them upon the bank, and then wrathfully strode out myself, and tried to shake myself, as I have seen a Newfoundland dog do. The shake was not a success. It caused my trouser-leg to flap dismally about my ankles, and sent the streams of loathsome ooze trickling down into my shoes. My hat, of drab felt, 
had fallen off by the brookside, and been plentifully spattered as I got out. I looked at my youngest nephew with speechless indignation. End of part five. Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org, on January 25th, 2008, in San Diego, California.